I want to encourage you, if you do have a copy of God's Word with you, to please turn to the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23. This morning we're going to be focusing on verse 5 in this series as we've worked our way through this, this great psalm. As you're turning there, just to give you an update on my daughter Emma, I spoke with my wife Jody in between services and we have gotten word. She'll be, uh, Emma will be going home this afternoon. So we are very thankful and praise the Lord for that. Um, last few days, she's been doing very well and so we're excited to, to get home and get back into whatever normal looks like for the Herod family. So we praise the Lord for that. Once again, I want to read through the entire psalm, these six verses that are so familiar to us. And I hope that in slowing down and looking through this chapter, this song, verse by verse, we've been able to meditate a little bit more on the meaning. We've been able to take the truth in just a little more deeply than just a cursory reading of it. So I direct your attention to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, for being good to us. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you are active and present in our lives. Thank you for being the good shepherd. Thank you, Father, for how you lead us and provide for us. I ask you this morning, Father, to do a work within us. Help these words that are so familiar to us, Lord, to be planted deeply in our hearts and our minds. Transform us, Lord. Change us. Help us to be able to say with David that the Lord is my shepherd. And I pray, Father, that we will be a changed people different from how we came in so that when we leave here in, in, in a little while and when we go into the workplace tomorrow, we will be aware of your leadership. We will be aware that you are providing with us. We will be aware that you are providing everything that we need, Lord. Father, we confess that your word is living and true. And we need it. So speak to us this morning, Father. And give us ears to hear and hearts that are malleable in your hand. We pray this so you will be glorified and honored through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, my family and I have never had the opportunity to go on a cruise. But those that I've spoken with that have done so have always said, what a wonderful experience it is. 
And there's one common theme that I often hear from those who have gone on a cruise. That the food is wonderful. And not just that it's wonderful, but that there's plenty of it. It's like a 24-hour buffet. Wherever you go, anytime on the ship, you can have access to food. But they also say that the evening meals, though, are a little more special. A little bit more up class. And that there is one privilege for those lucky enough to be invited to receive. And that is the invitation to dine at the captain's table. Oh, if you get to eat at the captain's table, you are being recognized as somebody special. This is an invitation that comes to only VIPs or people that have, have paid for a suite on the ship. In other words, people with big bucks or maybe, maybe you've made an impression on the ship some way. Heck, I don't think I'd ever be invited to the captain's table. only captain's table I've been to is at Captain D's. But this morning I wanted to talk to you about a table that is even more special, even more important and more valuable than the captain's table. This table is an infinite table. This table I want to talk with you about today is an eternal table. The table that I want to speak of today is a satisfying table. Because this table is the Lord's table that is spread out to any who would receive His call. And guess what? He is inviting us to come to this table. Now be aware there's a change that takes place in verse 5. The predominant image in the first four verses of the 23rd Psalm is that of God as being the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd who, who leads me beside the still waters, who makes me lie down, who restores my soul, who walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death. But in verse 5, the image changes. The shepherd is no longer with the sheep. Now the shepherd has become a host. And this shepherd is inviting us to come into his house and to dine at his table. So the metaphor changes. Now we could say the Lord is my host who invites me to come into his table. And this invitation carries with it a weight, a gravitas that is more than just one we may receive in the mail to RSVP to. You see, the invitation of God is an extension of his hospitality to come into his house. And his hospitality carries with it certain responsibilities on his part. You see, to understand the gravitas of this invitation, we need to step back for a moment to recognize the weight that hospitality carried with it in the time that David wrote this. And it's a weight that is still felt today by those living in the Middle East when they extend hospitality to somebody if we had a witness here to talk about the power of this hospitality, it would be a man by the name of Marcus Luttrell. Marcus served our nation as a Navy SEAL. And in 2005, he was part of Navy SEAL Team 10. Four men who were given a mission in Afghanistan to go and to either capture or remove a member of the Taliban. They began their mission. Nightfall being led off of a, of a helicopter and then making their way over miles of rugged terrain. As they were stationed up above the, the village where their target lived, an accident happened. A shepherd boy, maybe no more than 12 years old, was out with his sheep and literally walked upon these four members of SEAL Team 10. These servicemen now were faced with a dilemma. They let him go. 
He'll probably go into the village and tell the Taliban that they're there. The only other option would be to kill him. So they made a decision. They would risk letting him go. And he did exactly what they feared would happen. He went into the village, told the members of the village that the American military was near. And in a few hours, these four men were surrounded by hundreds of Taliban warriors. They engaged in battle. And three members of that SEAL team were killed. All of them except Marcus Luttrell. And he was gravely wounded and escaped by falling over the edge of a cliff. He drug himself over seven miles till he made it to another village. And there the members of that village took him in. Now here's the point I'm getting at. When they took him in, they were making a promise to him according to the custom called Pashtwali that they would provide protection and security for any guest in their village. So they began fighting off members of the Taliban to protect this American serviceman simply because they had extended hospitality to him and literally his life was saved because of hospitality. God is extending such a promise and a commitment to us. When he extends his hospitality, it is an invitation to receive that. And in doing so, God is committing himself to say, I will watch over you. I will provide for you. You will be secure in the warmth of my home. Come in. And this commitment to provide for our needs is symbolized in this verse by a well-set table, by oil that is used to anoint a guest, and an overflowing cup by which God says, come to my table. We're invited to this table. And I want you to notice something. It is emphasized in verse 5 that God has prepared it. God is the one who has set this before us. He has arranged it and he has provided for everything that is upon it. This image of a well-prepared table communicates infinite provision. It communicates a restful mind and a full belly. Because this meal is a celebration. Notice the progression that happens in this psalm. Verse 4, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Evil is around me, but I won't be afraid. And now it's as if we have moved out of the valley and we are able to engage in a celebration because God has brought us through. The images of this psalm, of this verse, are meant to communicate joy because God has brought about deliverance. What we thought was the valley that would be our end, God has brought us through. And now not only has He brought us through, we get to celebrate with joy. This image of a well-prepared table oil communicating joy and relief a cup overflowing is all of joy of celebration so I ask you this morning do you have that joy have you experienced overwhelming joy where you are just amazed at the fact that God knows you and he loves you anyway are you amazed and full of joy at the fact that God has saved you and redeemed you with a, a redemption that cannot be reversed or eradicated in any way There's there should be an overflowing joy when the church gathers to worship because here we come to God's table. We are reminded that the world around us is fading away, but we serve the God who is eternal. We are reminded that the things around us will not satisfy, but God Himself satisfies. We come together to be reminded that what we long for is found in God Himself. Do you know that joy? 
Somebody say amen, please. If not, I hope you get a taste of it. Because when you get a taste of that joy, you won't be able to keep it inside. And I cannot explain why what I'm about to share with you has resonated with me for the last eight years. But whenever I think of joy, I go back to a memory. Memory of me and my family at Disney World about eight years ago. It's not of something that happened to us, but something we observed there. That whenever I think of joy, I see this, this girl's face. I don't even know her name. We had gone and taken the kids. Of course, we're at Disney World, and we're going in to see this Lion King show. Now, it's an extravaganza, as most things at Disney World are. But this one is very interactive, and you're seated around this arena where the, the movie's going to be portrayed through song and dance and, and acrobatics. And before it began, there would be costumed members of the crew that would come out, and they would interact with the audience, and, and many times they would pull people out of the audience. I remember when we came in on the front row, there was a girl. She had to be eight or nine at the time. It was clear she had special needs. And when it came time for them to bring people out of the audience, they selected her. And I will never forget the look of sheer joy on her face. It radiated out of her. And when she got out there and they were encouraging her to dance in this parade around the edge of the arena, she was dancing. She was moving and she was joyful. And I thought, man, that's what it is. You, and I wondered how long had she hoped that, man, pick me, pick me, let me go. And when they selected her, there was overflowing joy because what she longed for had been met. Do you understand that God forgives himself to us what we long for is found in God and when you come to the table after passing through the valley of the shadow of death there is nothing you can do but to rejoice and part of the reason we rejoice is not just that God has saved us but this image of a table is present tense continuing notice he says you prepare a table before me it's not you prepared or you will prepare you prepare it it's now, right where we are, meeting us where we are. God is saying that the victory, the joy you need is prepared right in front of you. God provides what we need. And this celebration continues because God nourishes His children. This image of a table prepared is not one with just a few things haphazardly tossed out. This is the image of a buffet spread out. I've shared with you before, I grew up in a rural church, Clearwater Baptist in McMahon County. Many special days at that church, but one day, usually in later May, early June, that was just, in the eyes of a child, it didn't get much better. It was homecoming day, because that meant dinner on the grounds. When I was a little boy, the church, with my dad's help, had created a special table for homecoming day. I am not exaggerating. It is a 40-foot-long table made out of concrete. They made forms, poured concrete. That table is not budging at all, period. Forty feet long. And when homecoming day would come, oh, man. We'd start out on one. I still remember how it would be laid out. We'd start here with salads. Then we'd move up, and there'd be meats and casseroles. And then we'd move up, and there'd be vegetables. Are you, are you, are you feeling me now? And then, then we'd move up, and there'd be, be desserts. And then you'd move over to the drink table. All you could want. 
they arranged it like that so you got your little bit of salad then you could put the meat in the middle of the plate and a person who was good at this could put 20 pounds of food on a paper plate <laughs> balanced perfectly God says I've prepared a table before you let me walk you down his table for just a moment we'll start here with the salads if you'll pardon this I couldn't help myself it's a fruit salad peace patience joy kindness love gentleness self-control need plenty of that then we move to the main course you know what that is his grace given in Jesus Christ that's the center point grace upon grace give me double helpings of that and that's what the scripture says that God gives us grace upon grace that even where sin abounds grace superabounds. that our sin can never overcome God's grace that he gives to us so we get grace upon grace in Jesus Christ and then we move to the vegetables and we're reminded that God nourishes us with everything that we need all around his grace is his provision of the things that we need each and every day and then we get to the desserts you know the scripture says that God's loving kindness is sweeter than honey his faithfulness he doesn't leave us he gives us exactly what we need the desserts are his faithful love that is sweeter than the sweetest thing we could imagine but the truth is there are times we doubt that table we wonder where is it Lord why am I not experiencing this we're not the only ones to ask that in Psalm 78, the children of Israel said, Can God set a table in the wilderness? I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I don't, I, I wonder where this, this love, this joy is. Can God provide what we need in the wilderness? When it's Wednesday and the week's been bad and hard and it's been fought with, fought with conflict, can God prepare a table? There were some in Israel that said, No, we can't. Let's go back to Egypt. It's better to be secure in slavery than to be fearful out here in the wilderness. So God answers the doubters. He gives water out of a rock. God answers the doubters. He gives manna from heaven each day. God answers the doubters. He sends quail from heaven so the people have so much quail they can't stand it anymore. So I encourage you. Trust in the provision of God. It could be that God has spread the table out in front of you, but you're simply too busy to pull up to it. He has spread out the table and He's saying, come and eat. But we are so wrapped up and self-centered, we're not willing to stop long enough to say, God, feed me. Or we're holding on to other things that we refuse to let go of so that we cannot enjoy what God has given us understand that our arms may grow weary but God's never does he does not ever fail to fulfill a promise our legs may grow weak but God's do not our eyes may grow dim but not God's so I ask you come to that table take him at his word Stop striving according to Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that He is God. And the good news is He prepares this table before us in the presence of our enemies. It's not a stretch to say that God does this in their face. Now let's remember this is very applicable to us because we have enemies. 
I may not need to remind you of that, but it's true. Let me just mention three of them. First is the, the devil, Satan. First Psalm, first Peter, I'm sorry, first Peter 5 8 says, Your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. Your adversary. The devil is the enemy of your soul. It's not an overstatement to say that if he could kill you right now, he would. But the only reason he doesn't is God's protective care. He wants to strike at the glory of God and we being made in his image is the way he can do that. That as he strikes at us who are made in God's image, he is spitting at God himself. He hates us. Many, many years ago when I was the pastor at First Baptist Church in Blum, Texas, I'd been there about a month or two and we were having a children's sermon. I would get on the front step of the little podium leading up to the pulpit and the children would sit on the front row and I would just share with them a little story. And as they sat down, one girl said in a pretty loud voice, Pastor, I know somebody that hates you. Now I'm thinking, okay, I've been here about a month. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll deal with this. So I just said, well, that's all right, I, I will love them. And then I did what pastors do, and we don't know what to do. Let's pray. After the service, the, her Sunday school teacher came up, and she was smiling. And she said, Pastor Mark, I wanted to explain to you. You may not have noticed, but she was pointing down. Because we had studied in Sunday school that the devil hates all believers. And so she wanted you to know that the devil hates you. And I said, she doesn't have to tell me twice. He hates us. He is our enemy. The world. The world is listed as an enemy of God. The world is the system of thinking that's contrary to God's will. The world is in rebellion against Him. It may seem innocuous because we're so used to it. The advertisements and everything that pushes us away from God. But it's really very dangerous. Because the world will continually give us lies that says your way to happiness is doing what you want when you want it. The world will give us lies and say, you know what, if you're really miserable, get something at Stuff Mart. That's what will make you happy. The world will try to tell us that what we long for can be found anywhere and in anything other than God. And the world lies. It's our adversary. Now, the enemy is Satan and the enemy of the world are all outside of us. But this third enemy is within us. And that's our very flesh. Flesh is our sinful desires that are contrary to God's will. Thoughts and attitudes that we have where we want to do what we want to do without in so many words shaking our fist at the face of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says that the passions of our flesh wage war against our souls. Those enemies are very potent. The devil, the world, our flesh. And there are times that we feel surrounded. But that's where we must come back to the truth of God's word and recognize that every enemy we have has been defeated. Do you recognize that upon the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus defeated Satan? 
His, his power of death was removed. Jesus overcame death. Satan works to defeat us by condemning us. Do you know the glorious truth that in Jesus Christ there is now no condemnation. Our enemy is toothless and is defeated. Satan tempts, but God overcomes through Jesus. The world around us seems all-powerful. It's like a landslide that will cover us up in lies and in filth. But Jesus is our shelter. Why? He has overcome the world with the truth of who He is. He transforms our thinking while we may seem feel like we are prisoners to our own flesh he creates within us a new heart and a new spirit he transforms us and supplies the truth we need to combat the lies our very flesh tells us and he does that through the Holy Spirit if you look down to Psalm 23 verse 5 again notice he says you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows those two images are connected a good host supplies oil for their guests to anoint themselves. Now here the idea of anointing is not for consecration, but it's for relaxation and enjoyment. A traveler would be weary, dusty, tired. If he's been out in the sun, his skin would feel, feel dry as parchment. And the oil was meant to reflect, refresh and to renew. I think this anointing is a preview of the Holy Spirit. The reason I say that is because the Holy Spirit is compared and mentioned as the anointing that God gives. Upon the screen you'll see 1 John chapter 2 verses 26 through 27. Notice what John says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. These are false teachers. Now walk with me through verse 27. The anointing that you receive from him abides in you. Now think about that for a moment. Most of the time anointing is mentioned as something poured on you. This anointing, however, is where? In you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches, wait a minute. This anointing teaches us. That's personal, real, communicative. Teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you abide in Him. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The anointing that God gives upon the believer when we are saved is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's within us, refreshing us, renewing us, recreating us. The Holy Spirit revives and restores, fills and overflows. That's why our cup overflows. There's no limit on the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is God giving Himself to us. So He says, Lord, You anoint my head with oil. I feel refreshment. My cup overflows. We see the fulfillment of that as God gives the Spirit and overflows in our lives. Now, Let's understand the truth that some of us will say, my cup feels empty. It could be the daily wear and tear of life. It could be sin that is keeping us from dwelling in this and knowing God. So I ask you today to remember this. The best thing about an empty cup is it can be filled. God himself is infinite. He is gracious and good 
we need not fear God lacking the ability to provide what we need. As you all have been so faithful in praying for us, you know, we've been 11 days in the hospital this time with Emma. And, you know, you, you do what you do to each day to get by, encourage one another. But sometimes you just need to enjoy some of those extra blessings that God gives you. For example, like a cookies and cream milkshake. So I'd gone out on a mission one night to bring two back to me and Jody. Now, probably it was more me than Jody, but I was going to bring one and pull her down with me. So have you ever got in your mind, I can't wait to taste this. This is going to be so good. I'm looking forward to this. So get in the line and I'm going through, roll down the window. I need two cookies and cream milkshakes and I'll go ahead and tell you whipped cream and cherries on both of them. Sir, I'm sorry we've run out of mix for the cookies and cream milkshakes. What? I'm sorry, sir, we, we ran out. You can't do that. It's why I'm here. You don't understand. Well, I'm sorry, sir. Okay. Just give us chocolate. Isn't that disappointing? To know that what is promised is not there. Believer, you will never encounter that with God. Never. God has given us of himself infinitely. So if I'm feeling empty, the issue is not, is God able? The issue is, am I seeking him? So what I want to encourage you to do is this. Is first of all to remember Jesus. In those moments where you feel your cup is empty, I want you to remember something. Jesus' cup overflowed. It overflowed with suffering. It overflowed with the wrath of God. It overflowed with even death. And the reason his cup overflowed with all those things is so that our cup could overflow with the goodness of God. He took the condemnation that you and I had earned so that our cup could overflow with righteousness and peace and joy and overflow with God himself. So this morning, I want to encourage you. Come to his table. Those moments when you're weary and tired of body and mind and spirit. Stop. And say, Lord, I need that feeling. Lord, bring me to your table. Because God is always true to his word. He's extended the invitation to you. To come to his table. Will you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your faithful love. Father, we recognize that this world we will have indeed trials and tribulations. But Lord, you are our hope. Father, you are what we need. Now, Father, we have to confess to you there are times we believe the lies.